How many of you know that fear is not your friend? Yeah? So today, I'm super, I'm super stoked. I really believe that some chains are going to be falling off people. I believe that there are people here this morning, and you have been bound by fear for years. You have been debilitated and paralyzed and isolated and broken because of fear. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is here today, that the Lord is with us, and he wants to bring some deliverance. Anybody up for that? Four of you. Wow, awesome. Well, the, I'll talk to you four. <laughs> So the name of this message is I'm Afraid Not. Um, and I, I, I love this message because of the great and precious promises of the Lord. The Lord is so crazy about you. The Lord loves you so much. And I really have a feeling that when, when, the, when the Heavenly Father looks down on you and he sees you freaking out and stressing out and worrying and depressed and broken, I really believe he is the God who stoops down and says, I'm here with you. I am here for you. And I am here to take you to a new place. Amen? So this morning, um, you probably heard this. We're going to talk first of all about fear itself. How many of you have ever heard a quote? I'm going to start it. I want you to finish it. We have nothing to fear but Right. Now, this was actually spoken, I thought it was Winston Churchill. It was actually FDR, Franklin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, on his inauguration. This was in the heat of the Depression. And he got up, and this was kind of his, his intro into becoming the president of the United States when there was a lot of fear, kind of like now. There was a lot of fear going on. People weren't sure how to respond. They didn't know what to do. They weren't sure what was going to happen to them financially. And this is what he said. He said, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only, let's say this together, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. So what he's saying is that fear doesn't make sense, but yet fear wants to control. Fear wants to hold people back rather than propelling them into what God has for them. Just a, hi, good morning. Kind of a fun fact. Uh, he actually put his hand, it was a, a Dutch Bible, his family Bible from 1686, and he put his hand on the Bible and um, he swore his oath of office. Um, and it was actually the oldest Bible that was ever used in a presidential inauguration. So... Fun fact, you can always share that in trivial pursuit. Um, the dictionary.com says fear. This is the definition for what fear is. It is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined. It's the feeling or the condition of being afraid. Now, there is such a thing as healthy fear, and we're going to talk about healthy fear today. There are certain things you should be afraid of. You should be afraid of texting while you drive. That is something you should be afraid of. You should be afraid of bears. Bears are scary. Okay? There's a healthy fear, right? There's a healthy fear of sharks, right? There's a healthy fear of breaking the law and possibly getting thrown in jail. There are certain things that... that 
it, it's a fear-based thing, but it's not like that kind of fear. It's like a healthy fear. We're going to talk about the healthiest fear today, which is the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what we're going to cover later. But first, we will cover unhealthy fear. Unhealthy fear leads to a lot of sickness. Uh, we kind of talked about it last week. We talked about being free from worry and anxiety. You know, fear drives people to anxiety. It drives people to be worried. Does it not? Fear drives people to control, to try to control. You know, a lot of times people that are super controlling are only that way because they have a lot of, of insecurity and a lot of fear, and they're out of control emotionally, so they try to control everything around them. So fear drives a lot of control. Fear drives isolation. It causes people, like FDR was saying, it causes people to retreat rather than advancing. It causes a sense of paralysis at times when people know they should be doing something, but they're, they're too terrified to do it, so they just stay paralyzed. Fear can also create rage. Uh, when, when my husband and I were first married, we went to this worship seminar, and because we were going to a worship seminar, we had a fight, because that's how things always work, don't they? Sunday morning, isn't that the time when you always fight? Don't ever underestimate the power of the spiritual world. Yeah. Um, but we were, we were fighting, and we were in the parking lot, getting ready to go to a worship seminar. And um, at one point, he kind of, he reached over to grab my hand, and I just, I just like lashed out at him. And it kind of surprised both of us. And at that moment, I, I kind of saw this picture of myself that I was like, I was like an, uh, an animal, a wounded animal caught in a trap. And I was so wounded that anyone who came near me, I would lash out at, I would attack. And that was because I had a fear of intimacy. I had a fear of, of allowing someone to know me or to get too close to me because I had always kept people at a distance. I'd made some, some unhealthy vows with myself. For example, I will never be hurt again. I will never let anyone know me. I will never let anyone see any of my weaknesses. See, these are all really unhealthy vows, and they really keep people at arm's length. And fear drives that. There's a fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. Um, fear also creates a, a sense of running. People want to run away from that which is good, from things that will benefit them. Um, I would like a volunteer. Is there anybody who would be willing to come forward? All right, here we go. Can you guys say hello to Rob? Hello. Would you take your glasses off, please? Thank you. Let's set them right here. So um, fear is a lot like this blanket. Fear is something that is supposed to be designed for health when it's healthy fear, but when it's unhealthy fear, it's like this. This is what fear does to us. It cuts us off, it shields us, it prevents us from seeing clearly, it prevents us from being able to navigate and to move clearly, it just keeps us covered up. It keeps us hidden, it keeps us isolated, and it keeps us from becoming everything that we're supposed to become, everything we're called to be. And so what the Lord is saying today that he wants to do is he wants to take off this unhealthy fear, and he wants to help you see clearly. 
Amen. Thank you, Rob. Can you thank Rob? We practiced that for weeks. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Elijah. He is a prophet in the Old Testament. Starting, this is starting in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah was in the midst of a famine in Samaria. There was a drought. He had actually predicted that this was going to happen because the Lord had spoken to him, said there's going to be a drought. And so he prophesied and he told the king of Israel, there's going to be this drought. Sure enough, that's what happened. It hadn't rained for, I think it was three years. And there was a woman in, in this area. Her name was Jezebel. If your name is Jezebel, I am so sorry. Do not name your children Jezebel. That's a kind of a pretty name, but she was a. She, oh, I'm waiting for my filter. She was not nice. <laughs> she was a wicked, wicked woman, and she was a God hater. She hated God, and she hated anybody who spoke for God. So she had told her husband Ahab, who was the king. She told him, "You need to kill all of the prophets of God." So there was a guy there named uh, Obadiah, and he took all of the prophets of God, because he was a God-fearing man. He loved the Lord. He took all of the prophets and hid them away in a cave, and he brought them bread and water every day. Can you imagine having enough food? You wouldn't even notice that 100 people are being fed from your pantry. Some of you have teenagers. You're like, yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> but anyway, so, so um, at one point, the Lord speaks to to. Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go tell Ahab that it's going to rain. And so Elijah comes out and he runs into Obadiah. And he's like, wait, what are you doing here? I'm going to get killed. If, if Ahab finds out that I've seen you, he's going to kill me. And Elijah says, no, go tell him that I want to talk to him. Tell him that it's going to rain. So he does. And then they come face to face. Elijah and Ahab the king, the wicked king with the wicked evil wife. I, I feel like Ahab was a bit of a wimp because he never stood up to his wife's evil plans. So he comes face to face with Elijah and he blames Elijah. He says, this is your fault that there's this drought. And Elijah's like, no, this is your fault because you and your people have chosen to worship false gods. You have chosen to worship idols. And so then Elijah you guys, you may have heard this story, but what he says, he goes, well, let's find out who the true and living God is. He says, I'm going to get two oxen. He goes, I want you to bring all of the prophets of Baal. Some people say Baal. Some people say Baal. I say Baal. Anyway, so he says, I want you to get all of the prophets. There's 450 of them. And he said, and we're going to have a contest. So the prophets of Baal take an ox. They slice it up and they set it down. And then they start worshiping their false gods. They're like cutting themselves and singing, I don't know, whatever kind of chants they do. And, you know, they're dancing around. And they're doing this literally all morning long. And Elijah's just sitting there like, are you guys done yet? Nothing happens. Nothing. They're waiting for it to burn up. That was the deal. That Whoever has their oxen burn up, that is proof of the true and living God. Nothing happens. These prophets are going nuts. Or they're bleeding and they're limping and all of this. And Elijah, I don't know if this was good or bad, but this is what he did. He kind of sat there and he's like, 
What's wrong with your God? Where, where's your God? What's he doing? Is he on vacation? What's he off meditating or something? Or maybe he's in the bathroom taking a dump? I don't know. What is your God doing? <laughs> so Elijah's, you know, he's like kind of mocking these guys. And then they start really going nuts and everything, nothing happens. Contrast that with the oxen on this side. Elijah's like, throw some water on that. Three times, throw some water on that. How many of you have ever tried to build a campfire after the rain? It's almost impossible, isn't it? But yet, this is what he says. And this is to demonstrate that God is all-powerful. He goes against whatever would seem like the norm. So he's like, all of a sudden, this oxen burns up, proving that the living God, the creator of the heavens and earth, is almighty, that he is God. He is all-powerful. So the deal was that whoever loses the contest is going to get murdered, going to get killed. So 450 prophets of Baal are all taken out and slaughtered. Well, then Elijah goes back and he says to Ahab, he goes, Ahab, now Ahab's the king, his wife is Jezebel. He goes, hey, go ahead and go start eating and drinking because I, I know there's rain coming. And they're like, what? So Elijah has a servant and he says, go out and tell me when you see the rain clouds coming. And his servant goes out. He goes, there is literally not even one single cloud in the entire sky. He goes, go out seven times. On the seventh time, his servant goes out and he sees a cloud and it's the size of a man's hand way off in the distance. And soon the rain comes and the drought is over. This is huge victory, right? I'm going to see a victory, right? Elijah sees this huge victory. Yay, God. Amen? Amen. This is awesome. This is where we pick up. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Ahab ran back and told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Check it out. Verse 3. Then Elijah says, or then it says, Elijah was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life. Now think about this. Fire. <clears throat> True and living God, it's raining, the drought's over, versus nothing. Elijah has just experienced this tremendous victory in his life, but because of one threat. Basically, what Jezebel is saying here is, you know what, I'm going to kill you. And it says he was afraid. The prophet of God who had survived all of this and who had lived and had seen this amazing thing happen was suddenly completely terrified because of one threat. And isn't this just like the evil one? Isn't this just like the devil? You know, the Bible talks about there is an enemy. It says the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour and that's what happened here. The enemy came, 
whispered something in Jezebel's ear, and she goes, I'm going to kill you. And it freaked him out. And this is just like us, isn't it? Aren't we just like this? God does some amazing, awesome, incredible thing for us, and then the next minute, there's a lie or doubt or someone says something to us, and it completely throws us off course. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking to devour someone. You know, we watched this video a couple weeks ago. It was terrifying. And it was of this, <clears throat> this guy. He's just kind of do-do-do. He's just kind of walking around. All of a sudden, this lion comes out and like t- grabs him and just like drags him off. It was horrifying. And I thought, wow, that is exactly what it's like in spiritual battle. You're just kind of going about your merry way and... All of a sudden, something happens and just messes with you. This is what fear does to us. This is where fear takes a root. And this is what Jesus is saying he wants to set you free from. You know, here Elijah is this amazing prophet, this powerful man of God, and yet he's afraid of this little woman who just just is power hungry. Jesus, there is actually, there is a spirit of Jezebel. I'm not going to talk about that today, but someday we'll talk about that. Um, But I want to ask you, what are you running from? What has fear done in your life to cause you to run? Either from the Lord or from intimacy in your relationships or from your calling. You know, the Lord's asking you, Surrender your whole life to me and you're just, what is it you're running from? Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, i.e. anybody who has need. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I really believe the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me clearly that there are those of you and you are bound by fear. And the promise of the Lord is that he wants to break those chains today. He wants to deliver you from that prison that has held you captive for years and years and years. And it says, and he wants to proclaim the year of his favor over your life. You know, we don't just get together and do this and sing worship songs and, and teach out of the Bible just for something to do. I mean, you guys have other things to do on Sunday morning, right? The reason that we do this, the purpose that we exist, for which we exist, is first of all to love God, to worship God, to magnify Him, but then to love other people. And one of the ways that we want to demonstrate that love is to bring people into a radical encounter with the living, breathing God. That's why we do this. And I really believe that the Lord today wants to break some chains. He wants to set some people free from fear. He wants to say, in your face, devil. How many of you believe that there is an evil one prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour? The only thing that really, the only healthy, healthy fear is the fear of the Lord. It says that is the beginning of wisdom. And here's what Jesus says. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He says, I warn you whom to fear. 
Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying here, don't be afraid of people that can harm your body, but rather fear the one who is going to judge you on the day of judgment. And this isn't like a, you know, well, let me see if you did everything right, you loser. That is not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to help you. I want to show you the path to life. I want to overwhelm you. I want to forgive you. All these things that the promises of the Lord offer us. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, fear him. Because of the, the, the reality of it is, people can deny it all day long, but God is all powerful. There is a creator who created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. And he is all powerful. He's completely powerful. He's omnipotent. So what are the lies that fear is telling you? What do you fear? What are the things, the lies that you're believing? Isaiah 40.10. We're going to kind of break this down a little. This is such a sweet passage. He says, fear not for I am with you. Right there. Fear not. Do you know the Bible mentions this 366 times? It's been said that there, it says 366 times some form of do not fear, be not afraid, fear not. All of these things are every single day we need it. Even leap year, right? There's one for every day because we forget so easily that we don't need to stress out, we don't need to freak out, we don't need to have anxiety, we don't need to worry. As a matter of fact, we even talked last week, Jesus says, do not worry. He tells us three times in this one little tiny little passage. He's like, don't worry, don't fear. I am with you. So the next time you're afraid of something, just quote this to yourself. Say, fear not, for God is with me. Can you say that to the person next to you? It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is what the Lord's promises. He does all of these things for us. He, it's his promises. He says, I'll be with you. I will walk with you through these things. I will I'll be with you through the hard times. I'm not going to stand back and go, well, I hope you figure that out. Suck to be you. <laughs> that is not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is, I am with you. It says he will be with you. And then he says, do not be dismayed. Dismayed means like you're lacking courage. Like you're, you're, like you're not believing any longer. And he's saying, I will give you courage. I will, I will encourage you. I will fill you with courage. He says, I will give you strength. The other thing that he says, it, the, the scripture that Ira quoted, I love this. It, this is in Habakkuk 3.19. This just struck me this week. And this is in a translation. It's called the New English Translation. And so it's just a little, it's worded a little differently, but it says, the sovereign Lord is the source of my strength. Now think about this. Break this down just a bit. The sovereign Lord means he reigns and rules over everything. He is my source of strength. Think about that. It says, he gives me the agility of a deer. Think about deer. Aren't deer awesome? Aren't they so beautiful? But you think about them. They're just, you know, like 
they're never clumsy, like they don't trip. Anybody ever seen a deer trip? I mean, they're just, they're, their footing is so sure. And it says, he has given me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate rugged terrain. I really believe this is a prophetic word for some people here this morning. You're going through a hard time. You're in some rugged terrain. You're negotiating. You're navigating some things that are really complicated and confusing and difficult to, to know how to move and how to act and how to walk. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you the agility of a deer. You're going to be able to negotiate this rugged terrain. Because he's saying, because I will be with you. And remember the word says that when you're wondering what you should do, it says, ask for wisdom. It says he's going to give you wisdom generously without finding fault when you ask him. You know, it says in Proverbs 16.3, it says, it says that you should commit whatever you do to the Lord and then all your plans will succeed. As you commit everything you do to the Lord, all your plans will succeed. Now, does this mean that you're going to get rich and you're going to get to drive a Tesla or you're going to, you know, whatever? Maybe. Heck yeah. <laughs> but what this means is the Lord is, the Lord is going to bless your life. He's going to bless his people with strength and with peace. It says he will give you courage. He'll give you strength. He'll be with you. It says he will help you. The Lord will help you. Think about this. You know, we look to all these other things for our help, but the Lord is saying, look to me, because I am for you. 1 John 4, 8, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This goes back to, the, the, again, the fear of the Lord, that when we fear and when we understand that our, our God is a loving God, but he's also in control and he's also sovereign, and that when we walk in his ways, his promises is that he'll bless us and he'll be with us, and he longs to do that. That's his desire. He even says in Deuteronomy, he says, you know what? I said before you, life and death. And I'm saying, choose life. Choose life. All of the commandments of the Lord are good and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant, it says in Psalms. The Lord is asking us to do these things, not because he's a, like power hungry, but because he wants to pour out his blessing on us. He wants to pour out his spirit on us. He wants to give us the things that we yearn for, the things we were created for. This is why he promises these things, that he will help us. And I'm just going to say this again. I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but if you're in the middle right now of some kind of a spiritual surgery, like if the Lord's doing something in you in this season of your life, just stay on the table. Don't get off that table. Don't fight. Don't, don't try to help him do the surgery on you. Just trust. Let the Lord do what he's going to do. You know, the Bible says he's the potter, we're the clay. He can form us and shape us into what he has created us for. And that, and only that, is where we find our fulfillment. Only in that. Um, one of my favorite pastors, his name is John K. Jenkins. He said, I love this quote, the things that have made me cry are the things that have made me the person that I am today. Think about that. You know, after my husband died, I, you know, I've often said to people, I would never 
wish that on my worst enemy, what I went through. But on the other hand, I would never trade it for anything because of my intimacy with Jesus. You know, but I have to say, it wasn't because I just pulled myself up by the, by the bootstraps or did everything right. It was because I lived in this book. This book became my everything. It became my source. And this is where you're going to find your life. This is where you're going to find your purpose. This is where you're going to find who Jesus really is, who God really is, the God of love. This is where you find it. And the enemy of your souls will do whatever he can to keep you from reading this book. Anybody attest to that? Anybody? You know it. I just want to say fear. Fear is a lousy counselor. If you're making your decisions because of fear, you are not going to be blessed. You are not going to be fulfilled. You are not going to experience everything God has for you because there's perfect love casts out fear. His perfect love, he wants to cast out fear. He wants you to walk in trust and the hope that he's for you. It says that he will uphold you. That's another promise. This means he will champion you. Like he's going to be like your promoter and your coach and your bodyguard and your defensive lineman. And he's going to be all the things. He's going to be your cheerleader. It says that he will defend you, he'll lift you up, he will sustain you, he will encourage you. These are the things that our Heavenly Father wants to do. He doesn't just want to stand there and judge us. I just feel like God gets such a bad reputation sometimes. You know, he's such a loving father. Such a loving father and he wants so badly for us to know that about him and to trust that. That no matter if you're going through that time where you're, you're in the darkness or you're on that rugged terrain, he wants you to know, don't fear, because I'm with you. He's saying, don't worry. I'm with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I'll give you courage. I'll uphold you. I'll uplift you. I will give you wisdom. Isaiah 43, I love this passage. This is a promise that the Lord has given to us, to the Adventure Church for this year. And this is what it says. I have called you by name. Say that to yourself. Say, he knows my name. Say it again. He knows my name. I, I, I don't remember everybody's name, but the Lord does. He knows you by name. He, he knows exactly how many hairs you have in your head. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the words before you say them. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities. He knows your inadequacies. And yet, he continues to say, don't fear, I'm with you. Fear not, for I am your God. And he says here, I have called you by name and you are mine. You are mine. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Waters always represent transition. How many of you are in a transition right now in your life? Anybody? How many of you know that if you're not in transition now, <laughs> you will be soon? Life is full of transitions. We, you know, we get comfortable and we think everything's great, and then suddenly there's a transition. Something happens. And, and the Lord is saying that even if you're going through those waters, and these are not, these are talking about murky waters, like urine-infested, polluted, gross, disgusting waters, like, like, a, 
like the Jordan River, you know, that this is, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but um, the Lord is saying he will be with you. Even if you can't negotiate, if you can't navigate, you can't even see your feet, he will be with you. And it's saying, it says, I will be with you. And if you go through the rivers, now rivers represent something else. Rivers are a different kind of water. That represents favor and prosperity and and deliverance. It says, when you walk through the rivers, it says, it will not overwhelm you. You won't be overwhelmed by it. And it says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. If you struggle with fear, I, I would recommend that you memorize Psalm 91. This is a really awesome chapter in the Psalms that really talks about the protection of the Lord and the goodness of God and the safety of God. And so I want to ask again, what are you running from? What do you fear? And can you trust that even in the midst of it, God is with you? Because that's what he wants you to know. He's with you. And if you have been chosen by him, you will believe that he is good and that he is for you and that he wants to deliver you and that he wants to set you free and he wants to set your feet on a rock so that you don't have to be on this rugged terrain permanently, that he can set your feet on the rock, which is Christ. You know, he wants to say to you, whatever it is you're running from, run into my arms. That is the heart of the Lord for you today. Run into his arms and know that he's for you, that he, he longs to bless you. He longs to forgive and to pour out his spirit.